This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have Jeff Shetler on again for another show. We did a show about a week ago, two weeks ago for the listeners. And uh, we talked to Jeff, just kind of introducing Jeff as one of our HITS instructors and talk about Jeff's background a little bit. Now today, Jeff is in uh, Europe and he's uh, gracious enough to take a little time away from uh, the good food and drink and everything over there to sit down with us today and and kind of do a little follow-up on the show. So if you listen to the first show, it was kind of an introduction to Jeff Shetler and also a little bit about some of his tracking philosophies. And one of the the words we used quite a bit on that show was uh, proximity alert. So today we're going to talk about proximity alert. And we're also going to talk about, um, based on some feedback that I got, and a lot of it was from one of my statements, um, we're going to talk about what do you do when your dog is is ready to make an apprehension? You know, is, is a bite always the best option or should you maybe kind of consider some other options before you uh, use your dog as a guided missile just to blindly go after a, a suspect when you've got him cornered? So with that, uh, welcome, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Where are you at right now? I am on Lake Geneva in Geneva, Switzerland. I just um, actually drove down from the Burgundy area of France where I was teaching last week. And now you have a a pretty big class going uh, next week of Geneva cops. Yeah, we do. So we've got, um, I've got four of our trainers down here, uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff's department, Dearborn, Indiana, uh, Los Gatos PD, California. One of my guys from there. Uh, and then me, and we've got, uh, handlers from the gendarmerie, which is the state police, Luzon police department, which is near Geneva, Geneva police, uh, the area of Davo of, uh, Switzerland, which is in the mountains. Uh, and then also some of the cantons in the Zurich area. And so we've got roughly 24 handlers, uh, representing most of the country here this week. That's, that's awesome. So on a side note, um, Tell me just a little bit. I don't know if you've taught there before or mm-hmm. even with your experience from your last class in France. What's the the temperature of police dogs there? I mean, are they used quite a bit? Um, is biting a, a person a bad thing in these areas or is it cost to doing business or is it similar to the U.S.? Uh, just it's what's totally, an overview of? of- it, it's totally different. There's, there's no commonality at all. Um, uh-huh. The, you know, bite work is, is important. It's something that's, that's definitely part of the tool belt here for all of canine, but the way they approach it is significantly different than what we do in the U S. Um, it's more often the, the choice of last resort. Uh, the dogs aren't, the dogs usually aren't thrown in blindly in most situations. Uh, there's a lot of control, uh, far more control than, than what I see a lot of times in the U S. Um, and I think that the, from what I've seen, there's, the dogs are usually a little bit cleaner. Actually, not a little bit cleaner, a lot cleaner. And I wonder if uh, are, are a lot of those dogs, are they single-purpose dogs or are they uh, multi-purpose no. dogs? No, most of them do the multi-purpose um, program. I mean, it's full patrol, so building search, area search, uh-huh. tracking, you know, detection. You know, they do a lot of explosive detection plus tracking and then narcotics yeah. detection and tracking. 
but yeah, yeah they do the, the full multi-purpose canine program here. Yeah. It's been my experience too. And I don't, you can probably, you've been over there more than I have with the, the cops, but mm-hmm. it just seems that it's not quite as, uh, the liability and the, the being sued as a police officer does, isn't quite as prevalent there as it is, uh, in the U S is that kind of true or not? Oh, it's really true. You know, um, it really doesn't happen at any level like it happens in the U S but yeah. you know, they, I think that there's a lot more control when it comes to the use of the dog. Um, what I see is, um, the, it, it's not all about the bite and the testosterone of the bite. It's about controlling the situation and taking care of the problem. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why things are a little bit different here. Uh, they, the dogs work incredibly well, um, uh, but the philosophy is significantly different when it comes to the wow. apprehension work. That's interesting. Are a lot of the handlers that you're dealing with, uh, like, especially in France, are they coming from sport dog backgrounds? Cause I know it's quite prevalent there. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's doing, you know, the sport dog stuff, but there's also real applications and, uh, quite a bit of scenario based training, depending yeah. on the departments that you're working with. Um, so the, the the handlers themselves a lot of times have already done sport dogs, so they they already have experience before they ever get a police dog. Is that well, kind of yeah, and, and in here in Switzerland, I, I really love the way they approach canine here. For example, um, you know some of the departments that I'm working with. If you want to be a canine handler, the first thing you have to do is hang out with the canine guys. Generally speaking, for a year or more. Um, and while you're there, they're taking stock of you, what you do, sure. how supportive you are, how conditioned you are to canine. And then once that's done, then the application is made. There's a lot of testing that goes in, that's, that's yeah. involved. And should you actually pass this and you're given a dog, the way it works is what I really like is you select a puppy uh, from, uh, recognized breeders, you raise that puppy in your home and in canine and you start the training usually at about eight weeks of age. Um, nice. and by the time the dog is actually 10, eight on the street, it has 18 months of training under its belt, not just a five week handlers course. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's significantly different. And because of that, the bond and the connection between the handler and the dog is much higher. Um, I rarely, if ever, see handler-inflicted uh, bites, you know, here. Uh-huh. Whereas in the States, I see it or hear about it on a regular basis, you know. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of times this has to do with the, the training of the dog and the handler and sometimes the lack thereof. Uh, but what I see here in 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 Switzerland and Europe in general, there's just a lot more intense training. There's a lot more time put into it. Yeah. I like the, the long approach to it. I think, uh, you know, the agencies are able to do that to have a, you know, a two, three, four, five month training program, man, it weeds out so many mm-hmm. guys who, you know, just want to wear the canine pin and not, not do radio calls or something. So <laughs> exactly. guys can kind of, guys can BS you for a week or two, but by the end of the second month and they're, they're not jumping into decoy and they're not, working hard, you know, they, it's hard to BS somebody for months at a time. So I think they probably get pretty good quality candidates at, at that length of time. The people are really committed here. And, you know, the thing is, is that half the time they're not getting paid for the vast majority of what they're doing. Sure. You know, sure. Um, and I mean, that, that's true across the board, I think, with canine in any country, yeah, uh, yeah. especially with dedicated individuals. But, um, 
I'm really, really impressed. I, I teach here in, in Switzerland about four weeks out of every year. And in Europe, I, I spend about 12 weeks a year throughout Europe, all Western and Eastern, Eastern Bloc uh-huh. countries. Um, so, so in our first show, when we, uh, we were talking about uh, proximity alerts, can we mm-hmm. kind of just, just go over that real quickly and t- tell me your philosophy on that and what it is and, and how, um, you know, if I'm a, say I'm a, a, a dog handler and I've, I've got a good tracking dog, but I come to you and, mm-hmm. and that's a term I haven't heard and maybe my dog doesn't demonstrate it. What, what are we going to do first for, for this? Um, generally speaking with the proximity alert first, I just want to make sure the dog is, is squared away. And we talked a little bit about that in the, in the last show. Um, long before we actually start working on the officer safety part of it and the proximity alert is we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Have to make sure the dog's working good. Um, and I usually have a very, very basic test. It's a 650 meter track, all soft surface, one hour old. Um, and it's double blind. So in other words, we don't know where this, the person is, neither the trainer or the handler. Uh, the dog, the dog, excuse me, the dog handler has a time limit of 15 minutes to find the guy. And if he can do it within that time frame, then he's passed his test. If the guys can do this, and generally speaking, I know the dogs are, are good, good enough to actually start working on it. Um, the proximity alert is really kind of useless if the dog can't track very well. And sure. actually, I, should, I shouldn't say the dog not track very well because all dogs actually have the ability but has the handler applied the dog properly in tracking? That, that's probably a sure. better way to put it. Yeah. Um, but once we start, the first thing that we do is to teach uh, through the use of video and slideshow what the proximity alert is and, and what it looks like. Um, the dogs all have natural behavior that they start to throw as they get closer to the subject. You know, the proximity scent is all based on air scent. You know, the vapors of the human that are that are in the air. Um, these start with what we call a far alert. And the far alert can be at distances, you know, as far as a thousand meters away if the, the wind is right. Uh, and this is where just little bits and pieces of, of scent hit the dog from long distances. Um, that alert generally looks like head popping up, panning a little bit, some intensity change, tail set change. But generally speaking, the dog goes back to the track. So similar to on a detection dog, when we talk about change of behavior or head check, it's similar to that. Exactly. The commonality is really there. Um, The next thing is what we call the near alert. And the near alert is when the dog, and you can't really put a distance on this because it's all environmentally based. You know, a near alert could be 15 meters away if the wind is at your back, and it could be 100 meters away if the wind is in your face. It really depends on the conditions that you're in. So... The near alert is where now the dog is primarily working in a heads-up posture. Your intensity is picked up significantly. And generally, we're looking at a uh, range of head motion from about 120 to 90 degrees. Um, And you've got a general area now where you think the threat might be located. And usually with the near alert, this is where we start teaching the guys that it's time to start stopping and taking stock of your situation. Um, letting your teammates know what you're dealing with, let dis- dispatch know that you're getting close. The whole idea is to prepare and plan for contact long before you actually get there. Um, okay. The next level of the alert is what we call the triangulating alert. And the triangulating alert 
is literally as its name suggests. You've triangulated the source. And instead of the dog's head being on this constant swivel, now you have a really good direction, generally speaking, 20 to 45 degrees. And you can say with some certainty where the person's hiding at. Um, now, the triangulating alert can be tough because that can still be pretty close, especially if the person's armed with a long gun. Um, sure. And a lot of times what, what we try to do is teach our handlers uh, to stop at the near alert and start working on um, containment and flanking maneuvers. Um, the triangulated, triangulating alert's really nice, but if you have a seriously armed and dangerous suspect, it, it might still be too close. Okay. And the last alert, the last alert is what I call the danger close or your screw, your screwed alert. <laughs> and this is what most people actually recognize. This is when the dog is lunging and barking. And generally speaking, you're usually within weapons reach at that point. At that point, the, the danger close alert, that's where I always kind of say, now the dog's kind of dictating your tactics. Cause he's, you know, he's I, giving I, up I really like, I really like that. I like that term a lot. I've never, I've never really heard it until you brought it up, but it makes a lot of sense uh -huh. on, on a bunch of different levels. And absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you ever get in a situation where the dog is dictating the tactics, then you've, you're actually, I think, you know, a hair's breadth away sometimes of losing control. So sorry to interrupt you. So now the dog is lunging and barking. That's <laughs> your, your final. Your, yeah. And, and usually that's, yeah, usually that's when people get hurt. The dog gets yeah. shot or the handlers get shot. And, you know, it's, it's happening all too frequently now, uh, more, more now in the last 20 years than pretty much ever before. Absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination of the dogs and handlers getting better at tracking, of course. But yeah. I, I also think it's a measure of the, the people that we're hunting. Uh, they're, they're more dangerous than they were 20 years ago. Absolutely. So if, if I was going to describe this on the street, how I'm kind of envisioning it, because this is new to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I mentioned before, when I uh, worked a patrol dog, we, we just, we didn't have the necess necessity to track. We did yard to yard searches, but, but I know a lot about tracking. I've trained a lot of it. So if I was, if I was the way I'm picturing this is if I was doing say a, an area search with maybe very large lots, as I'm going down the front of the, the houses, maybe, at one end of the block, I'm going to get a little head check and know mm -hmm. well, I'm probably in the in, in the right area. And then as I go a little further, maybe uh, at the edge of, of the street, I might get a, a much more pronounced head check mm -hmm. telling me the guy might be across the street. And that's yeah. at that point, that's when I'm going to talk to my cover officers and say, you know, let's figure out how we're going to do this and make sure the perimeter's around that next block and start tightening things down as opposed to just following the dog straight across the street without having a plan at that point. Is, is that kind of correct? Right. I mean, you, especially when you're talking about, you're getting that more pronounced body language as you're getting to this next area. Um, you're not going to start, you know, kicking gate doors down or jumping into backyards sure. at that point that, yeah, you, sure. you need to, you need to take stock of the situation and think about containment. And that's going to get us up real close to talking about what do we do at, at that point? You know, when we are close to the guy, if we're going to, send the dog in or not. And that likely might end up being part two of this show because what I'd like to do is, is spend a, you know, another five, 10 minutes, uh, which will probably be about the, the total show here today. If you can kind of tell me, so I I've come to your class, I've got a dog that does track well, but this is a something that I haven't really practiced. So my dog is very good at, at tracking and, and I've always trained to end with a, either an article or a person 
So he generally keeps his nose down and maybe, maybe he does put his nose up, but I just disregard it and just keep tracking along. How are you going to teach me and the dog to start making these proximity alerts uh, more pronounced and better? And, and what's the training progression for that? Well, the first thing is, is the dog needs to realize that's what you want, you know, and, and if, sure. if the dog has no understanding that these behaviors matter, they're just really not going to throw great ones. Um, so you have to actually start recognizing the subtle clues as they occur and as they do take action. So for example, um, you get that first far alert, the dog pops his head, he gets a little bit excited, something's coming, everybody stops for a second, you praise the dog, you kind of watch his nose for a little while. If he does, if that excitement level doesn't seem to pick up, start the track again. Uh, as you're continuing to go and the near alert begins, he starts getting even more excited. He goes to that more primarily heads up posture. You stop more now. You communicate with your backup, come up with a plan, praise your dog really well, and really watch that nose. The simple act of stopping the dog like this in training begins to teach them that what's occurring is, is relatively important. But here's the, the kicker, and this is actually the biggest part of the training. You've actually got to fail a few times. Um, the failure is absolutely essential when it comes to the proximity alert training. And generally speaking, what we do is we'll throw the green teams in with the good tracking dogs, um, and we'll put them on um, armed subjects. And when I say armed, we're using real weapons platforms with UTM ammunition. And um, the... When the dog team comes in, if they completely miss the alert and they get in too close, they just get lit up by whatever weaponry that we have. And generally speaking, what we use is the AK-47s with the 7.62 ammunition. And if you've mm -hmm. ever been hit by that before, it's it's pretty painful. Yeah. Um, and it's as soon as the, the little firefight occurs, the dog's attitude is ratcheted up, you know, 180%. Uh, generally speaking, the... <laughs> Usually the handler's been hit uh, and some of the backup as well. And the, the sheer adrenaline rush that occurs for the handler sends the dogs over the top. And so uh -huh. the memory of that and the experience of it is, is really, really huge. Not only for the handler kind of learning through pain and embarrassment, but yeah. for the dog, you know, from all the action that just occurred. So they remember that. I would imagine the important person there then is is going to be your is going to be your decoy. He's going to be watching, and he knows what to watch for on the dog probably better than the handler. And when he sees that proximity alert, that's when he's going to start firing the the paintball gun. I assume. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're all they're all ready. You know, so the um, yeah, you know, our locations are we've got a lot of different areas that we work in, but we can take it really anywhere on on the in the country, but. Um, uh -huh. the decoy is absolutely essential because not only does he need to understand what the dog's going to do, he has to have some understanding of what the teams are going to do as well in order to, to defeat them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's that whole process, that exciting process that's so, you know, strong in the dog's mind. And if you can make it rewarding and exciting and fun for the dog, they really begin to crave it. Um, and what, what ends up happening is the proximity alert just through osmosis begins to get stronger and stronger every time you do it. That's very interesting. Um, when you're, so when you're uh, first teaching that and that you're getting the dog 
on it. Are there any other, um, other than a scenario, are there any other, you know, basic exercises? Say if I was just out doing some obedience and I wanted to play with mm-hmm. my dog, can I, can I do some just detector work and start working on this air scent too? Yeah, but you need a body, you know, you need uh-huh. a real, you need a human body out there because the human pumps that, out that copious, copious quantity of vapor that you sure. need. That's, that's yeah. what cues the dog into okay. the alert. Um, but as long as you have a body out there, you can do it. But the big thing is, and, and here's, the, here's the kicker. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems we have with tracking training and the proximity alert and teams getting defeated and more importantly, teams and handlers and dogs getting killed on the street is muscle memory of their training paradigm. Um, sure. In training, we always have this tendency to just fly right into the bite at the end of the track. You know, it's because that's yeah. the reward. Yep. We want the dog to get that. Yep. We want everybody to feel it. It's so cool to do. But that is defeating on the street when it comes to the track and learning how to deal with the proximity alert. Because if in every track scenario that you do, as soon as you get in close, the dog goes in and gets the bite. You've just created this muscle memory, not only for your dog, but for you that can be inherently, yeah. inherently dangerous. Um, because as you practice, you know, at home is how you're, you're going to perform on the street. Yep. So what you have to do is you actually have to change that mindset. Uh, instead of constantly running in on the end of the track to get that happy ending what we're doing is as soon as we get close we call the track and we do a call out versus sending the dog in so i guess one of the things that i know uh, some people would argue is well if, if my dog never gets to bite the guy he's going to lose interest or lose drive or whatever and um, I, I know how i feel about that but i just would like you to address that because i think i'll probably hear that i don't think that's really true um, i don't either I, I think if you have, I think bite work is one of the easiest, funnest things for the dogs to do, comparatively speaking, to the nose work. And yeah. they they will default to that really quickly and easily. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't pra- have to practice because I, you have yeah. to, just like anything else. You got to be good at what you do. But um, I don't believe I ser- that they're going to, I don't believe they're going to lose good. interest. Yeah, I certainly would think uh, a dog barking at the guy and, and even having the guy then run off because of the barking or something, I think that's going to be just as positive and, and uh, you know, help the dog just as much as mm-hmm. as getting a bite and then having to go and physically take the dog off. I, I agree. You know, I, I think that a lot of times the, you know, there, there's a little bit of human emotions that's being placed on the dog when it comes to the discussion sure. of this situation, you know, sometimes we're wearing our ego and our emotions on our sleeve when it comes to yep. disbelief. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's my, absolutely. that's my position. <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with you on that. So w- then the first episode, when we were talking about that, you did throw a teaser out here that you said that if you uh, practice this proximity alert and your dog gets really good at it, it would help with all detection across the board. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, we all know that the dog's noses evolve. Um, the more you do something, the more you practice, the more you train, their ability levels increase significantly. Um, and the thing about tracking work from a scent perspective is there's no other job that is more difficult. Um, and if you consider it, if you really think about it, it it'll make sense. You put a dog on one odor. In other words, he's tracking one suspect. And let's say that suspect does four or five miles. 
right? And you're tracking him yeah. for four or five miles. You're going through Hill and Dale, all kinds of contamination. And God forbid you're in the city. Think about all the other people, concrete and other things that are there. Um, the dog is continuously following just one odor amongst millions. Yeah. Right. Think about that oh, for, yeah. for perhaps hours. So if you condition a dog to do such a feat, to work this way, naturally it's not, it's, it's olfactory capability is going to be enhanced significantly. And generally speaking, what I've found is that the dogs that have been trained for this, you know, intensive tracking trailing work coupled with the proximity alert, which is working on these long distance air scents, you condition the dog for detection capability even more so when it comes to explosives and narcotics. My, most of my experience has been with the explosives. Sure. So basically, um, it, with a detection dog, once they're getting good at this, what I'm going to see is a more pronounced head check from a little ways away before we actually get to the further. Order. Yeah. Yeah. And also the ability to triangulate it better. That's the big yeah. thing. So be, before where the dog may throw a little bit of behavior and then lose it, now they don't lose it quite as often. They seem to be able to zero in a little bit better. Okay. Outstanding. I think mm -hmm. that's all, all good. What is, when you're teaching this in a, in a, either a classroom setting or on the um, street or, you know, a hands-on seminar, what is some of the feedback you get? I mean, I know the, the, it would be overwhelmingly positive, but when you get an objection, um, is there, is there a common objection? And then what, what do you address to that? Cause I'm thinking of our listener right now that would maybe say that all sounds well and good, but, and I'm sure that that whatever the butt is, is probably a, a very common thing you've heard. Is there any common theme of people who are a little um, maybe wary of, of agreeing that this is a, an important uh, thing to learn? Well, I think the, the biggest issue is a lot of times people believe that just because you have a bite dog, it's going to save your ass in an armed confrontation. Um, and nothing can be further yeah. from the truth, especially when it comes to a track. You know, if, yeah. if, if you're tracking somebody and God forbid, it's somebody who's better trained than you are with better weaponry. Uh, and this is happening nowadays. And yeah. this, this person is lying in wait in an ambush. Your dog is going to lose and you're going to lose. It's just, that's I just agree. the, that's the way it's going to be. Your only chance is to use that dog's capability to detect his presence before you get there. Um, keep that if, distance. Yeah, it's the only way to do it. Um, you know, and it, it, the argument, honestly, is, and unfortunately, is the officers and the canines who've lost their lives over the last couple decades. I mean, that's all the argument that I need. And honestly, it's the motivation yeah. for why I teach this class. It's the only reason why I teach this class is just to see if we can save a few more and do this a little bit more safely. Um, sure. But from a training perspective, um, I offer it to anybody. If you believe that your dog, your bite dog can beat me on a track and, you know, bring your dog out and, and let's practice. I can show you firsthand that it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing is, is that the, an armed suspect who's lying in wait and in a position of advantage has that advantage. And it doesn't matter if the yeah. dog can bite or not. It doesn't matter what kind of weaponry you have. You know, if he is in a better position than you are because he knows you're coming, yep. you're, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's why it's. I think the, the I like this concept of of using a a good proximity alert, keeping your distance, having a a plan, training with a team, uh, training with the team that you're going to deploy with too. Obviously, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. I think uh, I think I've seen that lacking where maybe when they train the team is other canine guys, and then they go out and train with either their tactical team or somebody who who oftentimes aren't at the the canine training day. So I definitely like, I like the, the direction that you're, you're pointing people to, you know, keeping mm-hmm. the distance, having a, having a plan, having a team ready to go and, and slowing things down, you know, when you get the person secured into an area. Well, and so that's, that's our philosophy is to contain, contain them and then extract them at our will when we want to, and in a way that's safe for everybody. I mean, there's a couple issues here that are really important to understand, and I think some pe- sometimes people don't. We always talk about officer safety, you know, and that's the primary thing we always have to think about when we hit the street. But the other big issue is the safety of the citizenry, you know. And if you sure. just if you just go in hog wild into a situation without really understanding what you're dealing with, you're not only putting yourself and your dog at risk, but you're putting the citizenry at risk as well. So I'm a firm believer in containment and dealing with it in a safer fashion. I don't like the idea of rushing in at really any time. Yep, I absolutely agree. So I appreciate it, Jeff. That's a lot of very good information. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you enjoy your, your time there in Europe. And we'll very soon get together and let's talk more about uh, once we've got the guy contained, let's talk about what we're going to do next, if, that, uh, if you have time to do that. Absolutely. I really love it. Thanks a lot. You bet. If you guys want to talk more to Jeff, come meet come meet Jeff at Hits. We'll be in uh, Chicago August 13th. So if you guys want to go to his class, you'll get to see this class as well as the class on scent-specific urban tracking. And you have plenty of time to talk to Jeff before and after class and in the evening. We have a lot of networking opportunities. So if this is a subject you're interested in, go to hitsk9.net. Hitsk9.net will give you all the information on how to sign up for Hits. It also has uh, Jeff's background on there, his bi- biography and the uh, class schedule. So you can check that out. Uh, Register today. You'll still save some money for early registration. It's k9.net. As always, this is Jeff Meyer. I'm your host and stay safe out there. Thanks. Thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, brother. Take care. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.